15. Michael, it's good to see you, my friend. I saw you in that big jacket. I said, man, who is that guy that just came in? Is that my bodyguard for this morning? <laughs> You're most welcome. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 15. Wow. It's amazing what God has already done. Amen. From 9 o'clock this morning, and to all of the special ministry ministration, uh, music ministration, the message is already set on course. Yes. And it's amazing for me when God does that without any of us checking with one another. But God has already set his path. And so this morning, I'm going I'm to speak to us on the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. So in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning from verse 3, let's just jump right there. Paul is speaking. He said, for I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also receive. You can't give it if you didn't receive it. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Not according to uh, any human view or any opinion of anybody. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. Go on. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day. How again? According to the scriptures. Not CNN. Not Fox News. None all of these guys, you must understand, everything we are and we have is born out of where? Scriptures. That is the basis for anything we do and every, anything God is doing with us. And that it was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, it was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. After that, it was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, it was seen by me also as, one, as by one born out of due time. So, Paul begins in this resurrection message account by first of all laying out and telling us of the historical account and evidence of the resurrection. This is not something that's, that, that's uh, uh, hearsay. This is a fact. It happened. And it tells you why he knew it happened and listed the witnesses and the evidence. This is a historical record. It is, it is done. Now, Paul, being who he is, he now switches. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 and verse 17, for a moment, it takes the pendulum to the other side. And it played the devil's advocate. It tells us in verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, because you must understand the audience that he was speaking to, there were some among them who are skeptics, as many of our day are. You had the Sadducees who did not believe in the supernatural, and definitely don't believe in miracles, they don't believe in the resurrection. They were there. Because in Israel, back in those days, the priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees were the leaders of the religious body. So it says, I've given you the historical account. It happened. However, given the fact that there may be some among you who may be skeptics, 
Let me play the devil's advocate, so to speak. He said, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. He says, but and if Christ is not risen, that your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. One of us, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men that are most pitiable. So in looking at this devil's advocacy, he established for us four things. Number one, he's saying if Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile. In other words, we have nothing to back up what we're doing. Number two, if Christ is not risen, he says, our sins remain. They are not forgiven. Ah, number three, he said, if Christ is not risen, then all the diseased saints, they perish. There will never be another hope of ever seeing them again. And then number four, he says, if Christ is not risen, we are of all men most miserable. You guys give up the nightclub, you give up your weed. Can you imagine? The marijuana you used to smoke and bang your head, you gave it up, you gave up your Heineken, you give If Christ is not risen, we are of all men most miserable. But the good news is, Amen. None of those four things are true because we know that Christ is risen. And so for those of us who have lost loved ones in Christ, I can assure you this morning, hallelujah, every saint of God that has slept, that are no longer with us, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, whoever they may be, one assurance of this day Amen. is to know that you know that you yes. know that you'll be absent from the body. Yes. It's not to say that it's the final. Because that day is coming when the dead in Christ will rise. We will see them again. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead and became the first fruits of them that rise from the dead. In fact, let's go there in verse 20. Still in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. This is the assurance that we know that our loved ones will see them again. In fact, you could you see your father again? Yes, sir. He's just, yes, gone, to, he's just gone to prepare. Yes. He's warming the place up for you. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now, Say, but now. But now. But now. After having played the devil's advocate and given you all the bad scenario, all the possible things the skeptics may be saying, let me establish the fact as it is. Yes. But now, Christ is risen from the dead and has, oh my God, the reason I said if you understand what fully happened, You'll be doing flips. You'll be celebration. You, people will think you are mad mm. from your celebration. 
Because you must understand that his resurrection was also what? Your resurrection. It's about now in Christ, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If there's a first fruit, there is a harvest yet to come of the same quality. Oh my goodness, if you ever gone to the farm, if you grow oranges in the grooves, and it's harvest time, when harvest time comes, you go out to the fields, and you see a sea of green oranges, but every now and then, because the harvest is just coming on, you see some golden oranges that's beginning to ripen. And that is a signal to the farmer that once I see these golden oranges, the harvest is not too far behind. Yes. So the golden ones are the first fruits. In other words, they are the ones that ripen first. But the others that look green now, in due time, <laughs> they will also ripen again. And so when the Bible says Jesus is our first fruits, it's implying that the rest of us who are in Christ in due season will manifest the same reason, Lord, in Jesus' name. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. One more verse, verse 23. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then afterward those who are Christ at his coming. So you can take heart this morning. We have not lost anyone. We've just sent them ahead. Yes. Hallelujah. And we will see them again. So the point here is Christ's resurrection is our hope and our assurance that all of us will be reunited again in the name of Jesus. Amen. So now, let me look at that word hope. Hope. It's not like our definition in normal usage where we use the word hope as a wishful thinking. So you say, well, I'm hoping I get the job. I hope I make the trip. I hope this happens. I, oh, yes, this is a good one. I hope the Falcons win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Hallelujah. I hope the indomitable Lions of Cameroon win this World Cup soccer. Yes. <laughs> I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Wishful thinking in a by and by. Now, when the Bible uses the word hope, you must understand it's not a wishful thinking. What God is saying to us through the word hope is a confident expectation that is based on God's promises. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the resurrection of Jesus is our hope and assurance that everything God said concerning our redemption is going to happen. Amen. Now, hope is a firm assurance regarding things that are unclear and unknown. Now let's go to Romans chapter 4 in verse 18 and give that to me please in the message translation. Romans 4.18 in the message translation. Hallelujah. Thank you. Now, we are talking about hope here as it relates 
to the resurrection, the hope of the gospel. Okay? We say that hope is a confident expectation based on God's promises. We say that hope is a firm assurance regarding things that are unclear and unknown. Now, look at Abraham in Romans 4, 18. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. Deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw, he could not do. But on what God said, he, God, will do. And so he was made a father of multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you are going to have a big family, Abraham. Now, when we read the scriptures, because we are, because we are, we are so far in time away from the reality of when the scripture was given, sometimes we miss the import of what he's saying. We are talking about hope, about the fact that hope is a confident expectation based on God's promises. Can you imagine? God came to a 75-year-old man in Genesis 12, 2. I will make of you a great nation. What? At 75? Now, what am I going to do now going forward that I've not done before? Nothing happened for a few years. At age 99, God comes back to him in Genesis 15 and said, not only will I do it, let me take you outside and you can count the stars. Number them. He said, if you can number these stars, I'm telling you, Abraham, that's how many your descendants will be. Are you kidding me? Now, to bring this all into where we were at 9 o'clock and the music during prison worship, it's going, to, it's, going to, it's going to come together in a minute. Genesis 17. God comes back to this man. He said, Abraham, it's time for me to perform what I said. Now, mind you, for 25 years, he's waiting. And in Genesis 15, God says, when God said it, the Bible says, he believed it. And that once he believed it, God credited him as righteousness. Yeah. When God spoke to him in Genesis 15, and said, I'm going to do this, even though the man had no proof, it was unclear to him how it would happen, it was unknown. There had never been a human being up to that time who had a child with that, you know, those circumstances. And the Bible says he believed it and God counted unto him righteousness. Yes. Now, when it was time, and please follow this story this morning. I'm telling you because there are some of us here right now. You are holding on to the promises of God. And you are wondering when, 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 when. And what God does, it comes from time to time and add a little more. And add a little more until manifestation comes. Because now in Genesis 17, he did something significant. He came to Abraham. Let's read it in Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. Genesis 17, verse 5. Your name will no longer be Abraham. But Abraham. Now, I've spoken to you in Genesis 12. I spoke to you again in Genesis 15. But now... I'm about to bring to pass exactly what I've been saying since Genesis 12. And in order for that to happen, there must be some changes that must take place in you. Meaning, I'm making you a father of many nations. Please hear this. <laughs> God had 
to give Abraham a new ID. As Abraham, you cannot bring the father of many nations. That word Abraham is still tied to the earthly. I did not give you that name. Terah gave you Abraham. And you will not be able to accomplish what I'm trying to do through you by Abraham's handwork. I've given a promise. It will come to pass. But before it comes to pass, first of all, I must give you a new identification. Therefore, here in Genesis 17, God says, you are no longer Abraham. I'm making you Abraham. A new idea. And every day, now you can go to the scriptures. From that moment forward, you never saw anyone refer to Abraham as Abraham any longer. From the moment God said it, his name was changed to Abraham and people around him call him Abraham from that on. Why is that so important? Because every time they pronounced his name, they were bringing to pass his destiny. When he said Abraham, you're saying, I'm in agreement with God. You are the father of many nations. You are the father of many nations. And in time, God brought it to pass. Now, let me give you a dimension here that's important for you that's married. Because in order for God to bring this to pass, you have to walk both through Abraham and Sarah. In that same Genesis 17, in verse 15, the Bible came, God came and said to Sarah, And God continues speaking to Abraham and Sarah, your wife. Don't call her Sarah any longer. Why? Because in order for this to happen, between husband and wife, both husband and wife must get new IDs. What I'm saying to you is, in your household, both the husband and the wife must be in alignment with the new identity that God has given you in and through Christ Jesus. If you both want to see the manifestation of certain things that God is bringing to pass in your lives. So God not only changed Abraham's name, he also changed Sarah's name. And when he changed both of their names, he said in a year's time, you're going to bring forth the son. Are you hearing me? And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Now, Hope is not a feeling. In fact, it is an intellectual acknowledgement that God is faithful. What do I mean by that? Abraham and Sarai knew that a day came in their lives when God changed their name. This, was no, this is a fact. It happened. They were aware that God did something. There was an intellectual understanding just like when you go to the courthouse and change your name. If I change my name from bank to, uh, from Rob to Robert, from the day I got that ID changed, there is, I have a knowledge that I just changed. In fact, okay, this, this happened to me, really, in, in true life. Okay, so, so before 9-11, my driver's license was just Bank Akimola. Before 9-11. You know, William for Bill, Bob for Robert. So one day I'm flying, TSA. They look at my ID. Bank Akimola, is that? There's an inconsistent here. Your ticket is showing Bank Akimola, your Bank Akimola. You can't be the same person. I spoke grammar, 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 I spoke. Finally, they let me go. 
I said to myself, I've got to fix this. I came back and quickly went to DOT and got my Georgia's job license changed to reflect my full name. Because now, thank God to, for Osama Bin Laden, abbreviations don't work any longer. <laughs> Bill, is no, Bill is no longer Williams. Bob is no longer Robert. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. But the point I'm making, I remember. I have an intellectual understanding and knowledge of when the change took place. Yes. And as a result of that, I can hope. As a, there's an anchor. There's something to anchor my faith or my believing in. Are you hearing me? So the day God changed Abraham to Abraham or Sarah to Sarah, that day, they understood that God meant business. So what I'm saying to us is this. Just as Abraham could not have the many nations until his name was changed, and Sarah could not have the many nations until her name was changed, I'm saying to us that the manifestation of the promises of God in our life, hear this, is not going to be predicated on what you do, but on your identity. Let, let, let you settle down. I said a whole lot there. All the promises of God we are believing, of, we believe for. The manifestation will not come on the basis of what I do or do not do. It is not predicated on what I do or do not do. And I'm going to show it to you before we leave tonight. But in fact, the manifestation will be on the basis of your identity. When a woman is pregnant, day one or week one, week two, there are a lot of things she does with no problem. But as the pregnancy progresses and she gets to the fifth month, the sixth month, or the seventh month, it is highly unlikely that she will go to the mountains of Tennessee and get on the zip line. She probably won't do that. Why? Why would she not go to some why would she not go skydiving? On the eighth month of her pregnancy. Something inherently tells her that because you are carrying something new on the inside of you, certain things are a logo. Not because she went to a school and got a seminar. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Or do this. No! The reconstitution of the new life within her begins to dictate what she does and does not do. Nothing from without, but everything from within. Okay. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me say something else. When a child is born, you and I, maybe the child is born in the palace. Let's, let's say the child is born in Buckingham Palace. The feeding bottle is made of gold. They use it to feed the child. Gold. The meals cooked by the best chefs in the world goes to the best school in the world. Let me tell you, let me ask you. Can that child grow up to fly like an eagle? Literally? Just because she was raised in a nice house and had a bed? Never. She will never or he will never fly like an eagle no matter what. On the other hand, 
You go to the zoo and get a, a, a snake. Maybe a cobra for a pet. <laughs> if you are that crazy to do anything like that, don't go home and try this. Though. You get a snake. You pamper the snake. You take care of the snake. You feed the snake. You feed it rats, eggs, all the great whatever snakes love to eat. All day long, give the snake all the attention the snake needs. Will the snake ever walk to men's warehouse and buy a suit? <laughs> Nothing you do to the snake will make the snake change its behavior. All right. Why? Because as the child and the snake, a snake will be a snake and a child or a human species will be a human species. Right. The DNA of who they are determines the nature of their behaviors. Yes. Not anything we do from outside. Are you following what I'm saying to you? Yes, sir. This is why the issue of our ID is critically important. Because once you understand who you are, yes. it's not a matter of you striving to do this or do that. Just as a human being will never fly as an eagle. Never. And a snake will not go to men's warehouse. Impossible. Even so, as a child of God, once you understand what your true identity is, things begin to be different. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, verse 47. Please go back to the NKJV. Thank you. Thank you. Look at, what, look at what Paul says. Now remember, he's still speaking in the same theme of resurrection. The entire 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. Going line by line by line by line. Here in verse 47. He said, the first man was of the earth. Made of dust. And the second man is the Lord from heaven. Go on. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Now look at verse 49. As, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. In other words, if we identify with Adam, and the Bible says, in Adam all die, and in Christ all of us have life. So Paul is saying, as we have borne the image of Adam, you had no choice. Now as a new creation, you also are bearing the image of the heavenly. What is that speaking to? Identity. You change from Adam and you are in Christ. Oh man, let's break this down. We were created in the image and likeness of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, 27. I don't think there's any argument about that. We were created in the image and likeness of God. Give me that scripture, Genesis 1, 26. I want to show you something. We were created in the image, image and likeness of God. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Oh my goodness. 
If you've been coming to class at 9 o'clock, you understand that image speaks to what? Identity. And likeness speaks to behavior. Don't miss what I'm about to tell you. Let us make man in our own image and according to our likeness. Which came first? Likeness or image? image. Ah. <laughs> Very good. Because your identity determines your likeness. Yes. Your image and your identity drives your likeness or your behavior. So when God created Adam, he gave Adam his image and likeness. And we see that lived up because Adam, on the basis of that, was able to go out and name the animals the way God would have named them. Yes. Because the image was intact. Correct. Had God's image and also likeness. So image speaks to us of identity, while the likeness speaks to us of behavior. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 12. I want us to get this. Therefore, brethren, we are no longer debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, if you by the spirit, if, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Go on. For as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, identity, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Everything I'm saying to you this morning, this hope of the gospel is the fact that by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have a new identity. Amen. And that ID, that new identity is your key to operating in the earth and to get the kind of result that Jesus got. It is important you understand that. Now let's move on. Rome, I'm not Romans. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 18. For we all, with an unveiled face, beholding us in the mirror of the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So the point here is, how we live matters on the basis of the fact that the resurrection has taken place. In verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. So Paul is concluding this whole message on the resurrection. And guess in verse 58 he said, therefore. Now when you say that word therefore, that means based upon everything else I've told you. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, when I was reading that over the weekend, 
I got stopped right there when I got to the abounding in the work of the Lord. So now that Jesus is risen and that I've risen with him, Paul is encouraging me, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. So I ask myself, what is the work of the Lord? What is it? Is it knocking on doors in Lawrenceville? Door to door, everybody needs to be born again. That's a good thing. But is that what Jesus is talking about? Or what Paul is talking about? Is it going from nation to nation, preaching crusades? It's not a bad thing. But is that what he's talking about? What does it mean? Be steadfast. Remember, all of this is within the context of the resurrection. This is the last verse in that chapter. Be steadfast. Don't move your position. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing. Knowing. There's an assurance. There's a hope. There's an expectation. He's not asking us to do this just because he wants to say so. He's saying, I'm telling you because know something. Something. There's a result. There's a consequence. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Wow. When I saw that word labor and I saw the work, I said, well, it must be, I need to go do something. Because work and labor, it says it all. Until I saw something else. In Hebrews, where the Bible says we should labor to enter into rest. Mm. <coughs> so I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe bank, maybe, maybe I should not go and dig ditches. I'm going to start doing something physically. Maybe, maybe that's not what God is saying. And then I took some time to reflect, to reflect, and it became to come together. Go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. In verse 27. Do not labor. Here we say the word again. Jesus is using the same word, the exact same word that Paul used. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Ah! So whatever this work is, endures to everlasting life. Are you hearing me? Which the Son of Man will give you because because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do? See, these guys are not here. They're like us. The man just told you (laughs) that this thing I'm talking about has nothing to do with physicality. And immediately they asked him again, what shall we do? That we may walk the works of God. That's the question. There must be a seminar. Charles, I have to attend to to know how to walk the work of God. There must be seven steps to walk in the word of God. There have to be. That's the question they're asking him. And then verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he sent. The work of God has nothing to do about what you are doing. 
quiet it is in this room. The work of God has to do with you and I believing on the finished work of Christ. Which at the foundation and the bedrock of that finished work is your changed identity. God is saying, can I get you to believe with me that I've changed you, that I've made you a new creation, that I've made you a perfected being, that I have chosen you, that I have perfected you. Can I get you to believe that you are no longer of Adam, but you are now of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I get you to believe that? Because once you believe that, the matter of what you do is a totally different situation. This is where the enemy gets us. Because now you're in church on Sunday morning, you believe it. You feel good. You believe it. But once you leave that door, and you get a flat tire, you get back into Adam immediately. You forget that you are a child of God. Instantly, you are in Adam. You are blaming your mechanic. You are blaming the guy that sold you the tire. You are, you are, you are blaming the, your son that drove the car to some place you don't like them driving the car to. You blame the whole world. And God is saying, no, 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 no. This new life is not a one-time deal. It's a moment by moment by moment by moment recollecting and believing and saying, God, I thank you. I am a new creation. That is the essence of resurrection. On the cross, Jesus said in John 19, 30, you don't need to go there, it is finished. He said it's finished. So you ask the question, but what, what is finished? What? What is finished? What have you done, Jesus? What have you finished? Of course, he's referring to the work that the Father gave him to do. And he made that clear to us. Give me John 17, verse 4. He made that very clear to us in John something verse 4. He said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. Notice, Jesus said he has finished the work. Way back in John 17 and he had not gone to the cross yet. But he said he's finished it. Why? Because he's believing. He has received the mandate and he believed it. He believed it. He believed it. This is where the rubber meets the road. So when the people were asking him in John chapter 6, <laughs> when they were asking what shall we do, you know why Jesus could not give him a list of what to, things to do? Of course he could not give him a, a list. It's not possible. Because if in fact according to John 19 he had finished the work, it is finished. If I finished it, what am I now giving you to do? You, you didn't hear me. If he had finished it, Brother Sam, what part now am I giving you to do? If I came to your house and cleaned the, I swept the place clean, it, I, I, I shampooed your carpet, it is absolutely spotless. When you get in there, what are you going to do? Rest. Rest. It's done. So when they were asking him, what shall we do? There was nothing he could have told them to do. Why? Because he had done it all. 
They had done it all. And that's the message that is passing on to us. Because he, Jesus, had finished the work. When the people asked him what to do, he couldn't give them a to-do list. They only needed to believe and rest in his finished work. In other words, my friends, on this Resurrection Sunday, I'm not trying to do for God, I'm not trying to do anything for God, but rest in what he has already done. Amen. I'm not trying to win the victory, but rest and stand in his completed victory. Amen. This is a gospel of grace. And no one knows this more than Apostle Paul himself. I don't have time to go into all of it. But when you read Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, Paul, based on his Adamic nature, was working for God. Oh my God. Going from house to house and from place to place, putting people in prison and trying to waste the church of God. He was working, zealous. And God had to stop and say, Paul, so, so, so. What are you doing? This is not working for me. No. And God had to bring him into correction and now release him into proper ministry. So it's not a matter of needing to do something. It's a matter of resting in Christ. And then when we are rested in him, we can do good works. Now, very quickly, in five minutes, let me give you. What does believing in your identity, what does it look like? Believing in this new identity as a child of God, what does it look like? Number one, you will have the same end goal as God. Yes, sir. There's nothing like saying, I'm a child of God, and your whole aspiration and your life is lived for something other and different from his goal. It's not possible. That's what Jesus said. You've made me a body. And because you've made me a body, willingly I'll give myself back to you. So once you become a child of God and you believe you're a child of God, that will be the first thing that changes. God's goal becomes your goal. You get that? Number two, spontaneous obedience based on confidence in a character and sympathy with his ends or with his goal. Now, this is not obedience to get something but obedience because you've gotten something. Two different things. Once you become a child of God, once you become a child, spontaneous, you don't have to take a seminar, fast, pray. No, no, no. Once God, once you become a child of God and you know that you're a child of God, you're a new creation, there will be spontaneous obedience. Based on what? On your confidence in the character of God and in sympathy with his ends or with his needs or with his goals. Yeah. So if you are still dilly darling and you know that God is talking to you, you are not settled on your identity. You are not settled. Your identity is not settled. Number three, let me just quickly go on. What does believing in hope look like? Number three, absence of all fear that has torment. Absence of all fear that has torment. Go on, ask Daniel. He was not afraid of being thrown in lion's den. Or the three Hebrew boys. They understood. They understood. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at Moses. Moses rather chose to suffer affliction 
with the people of God, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11. Why? Because he understood. He said he refused to be called the daughter of Pharaoh, the, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused. Don't label me with the Adamic identity. I know who I am. And if who I am means I have to suffer certain consequences in a short term, bring it on. Bring it on. Why? I have an assurance. A hope of a future. Confident expectation based on God's promises. This is not going to be the end of it. There's a future yet waiting for all of us. And therefore, that future guides how we live now. Number four, peace of mind. Peace of mind. Go and ask Peter. They put him in a dungeon, he fell asleep. Gone. He was asleep. Angels had to shake him up. Wake up! Number five, satisfaction with present allotment of providence. That's what Paul said, I'm content to be abased and to be abound. Number six, cheerful under any circumstance. All of these points are a message by themselves. I don't have time. But Paul wrote a powerful message of rejoicing from Philippian, Philippian jail. He said, rejoice! And again I say, rejoice. And this is a man that was in, in prison. Number seven, this is very, very important. When you take on the true identity that God has given you, you have a universal opposition to all that is evil. You didn't hear me. <laughs> universal opposition to anything that's evil. Why? Because you know those things, God contends against them. And lastly, number eight, you have universal sympathy with all goodness. Amen. Amen. This is the hope of the gospel. Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. In that resurrection, we got a new name, a new ID. And God now wants you and I to start living out that new ID and on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. There's no formula. Amen. This is why Romans says, for as many as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons. As a son, the Spirit is in you to lead and guide you. So I'm not going to give you a list of 19 things to do to know that you're a child of God. No. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. But just know that you have a new idea. And trust God every moment to live through you so the manifestation of who you are as a child of God can come forth and be a blessing to your generation. Every eye bow and every head closed. This is a very significant day for all for really all humankind. Because even if you are not a believer, on this day, 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price in full for your redemption. So I don't know who I may be speaking to here today if you are not born again. Don't miss this opportunity. This is why we celebrate resurrection. Because on this day, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price in full to pay for the forgiveness of all of our sins. All of them. And so because of that, you don't have to remain in your sins. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He couldn't give anything else. That was the best. And he gave it. So that you and I can be translated from the power of darkness, kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. So if you're here right now, you say, Pastor, I'm not born again, but I want to make that first step. I want to be born again. I want to become a child of God. 
I want resurrection life to mean something in my life, beginning now. If that's you, can you just raise up your hand wherever you are? Anybody? Sister, I want to be born again. Is there anybody here today? And if you're watching this through live streaming, right there where you are, you can be born again. The Spirit of God knows no bounds of time and distance. It doesn't matter. The Spirit of God can reach you and touch you wherever you are. If you just believe, that's the key word. That's the key element. Believe on the works of God. Believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins. Believe that he forgave you. Believe that he has sent the Spirit in your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray for everyone, every man, every woman, every child under the sound of my voice, thanking you again for your incredible manifestation of love when you sent your son to that cross at Calvary. We thank you, Lord God, that this significance of what this means is not passing us by. But that we recognize that today, several thousand years ago, historically, you give us the opportunity to become a part of your heavenly family. Oh, Father God, if we had a thousand tongues, we could not thank you enough for this incredible, powerful, revolutionary thing that you've done. Transferring us from the Adamic, Adamic kingdom into your kingdom. And so, Father, we say thank you. Thank you for our salvation, for our redemption. Thank you for saving us. And so now, God, we don't want to camp at salvation being a destination. You left us here for a reason. And so, Lord God, we thank you for the, for the reason for you left us will be lived out. That we will live out Christ as our life every single moment of our day. Whether we're at home, at work, in business, wherever we find ourselves, in school, wherever we are. God, that we receive the boldness and the courage and we will believe you at your word because we have the confident expectation based on your promises that you're who you say you are and that we have a future and you have a plan for us. And so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the manifestation that your end, the things that move you will begin to move us. Father, in the name of Jesus, that we wake up from the slumber of complacency. But God, in Jesus' name, as Jesus was full of zeal for your kingdom, even so, Lord, we thank you for walking through us by the power of your spirit. Thank you, Father God. Let us see through your eyes how much you love your people so that we can be your hands to love them and your mouth to bless them. Thank you, Father God. Help us with this great awakening. We bless you, we honor you. And Father God, peradventure someone here is sick in their body. They need a touch from you. Lord God, in Jesus' name, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, you said, dwells in us. Therefore, Lord God, in Jesus' name, by the same power of the Holy Spirit, I command healing to take place right now in the lives of each man or woman who is needing it because you were wounded for our transgression. You were bruised for our iniquity. The price for our peace was upon you. And by your stripes, we are made whole. And so we receive wholeness right now. In the name of Jesus, we receive it. We receive it. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.